Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Meanwhile, after the primary at the Jesse Sullivan house, he's fishing. Oh my God. Meanwhile, at the Gary Rabine house after the primary. <laughs> He's good. Yeah, anyway, slam that. All right, just a reminder, Gary Rabine was the parking lot uh, magnet. Yes, he was going to use his uh, business sense to run the state as he was appealing to the inner business person that's in every Republican, even a MAGA. Uh, and uh, he got clobbered, too. So, But uh, you'll remember the, the only uh, clip we could find of him, sound clip, was him playing ping pong. So that's the joke. All right, so here we go. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday. July 19th is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, sometimes what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns or cannabis, whatever. From our very own Ben Jarofsky. Reefer. There we go. Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V as in victory. S-K-Y. It is Tuesday, July 19th. And this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Now your host, we're all dancing. Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky. We're calling this got abortion on my mind Tuesday, and here's why. Because I got abortion on my mind, ladies and gentlemen. It's just like I'm obsessed with this. Uh, people go, Ben, what do you care? You're not a woman. You'll never get pregnant. You're old. <laughs> people just throw the old part in there. Because I, I don't know. What, do you want to make women indentured servants? Is that where we're going? Is that is that the purpose? The future of civilization, number one, is that the purpose? Number two, it's some of the, the laws that are being passed by MAGA right now are so cruel and twisted. I'm like, are you people passing these laws, do you hate women? George Carlin said it best, the great comedian George Carlin. He said it long before it's fashionable. But my current guest is sitting here. Was, I don't even think he was born yet when George Carlin said this uh, this great riff about uh, the people who are against abortion are doing it because they hate women. I ask any one of you out there who's of sound, independent mind. Listen, MAGA creatures, I understand you're incapable of breaking from the cult. So the notion that you would have a critical thought, that you would like think of something without immediately wondering what Donnie Trump would want you to say or what Steve Bannon would want you to say or what you heard on the Joe Rogan show or anything. I know you're incapable of that, so I'll put you to a side, MAGA. That's 45% of the population. <laughs> it's kind of scary, ladies and gentlemen. 45% of the population, you just got to put them to the side, go, whatever, here, have some more meat. But the rest of you, 
I can't get over this story. I just wrote about it uh, for a reader in a column. Probably talk about it with my guest if we get to that because the new position he's taking does deal with abortion issues to some degree or another. But the law passed in uh, the state of Ohio uh, that made it illegal for a 10-year-old victim of a rape to get an abortion. She had to go to Indiana to get the abortion because she was a few days past six weeks. Again, she was 10 years old. She's the victim of a rape. She can't get an abortion. The people who run the state of Ohio, who are, by the way, MAGA people, and no different, really, in spirit and soul than the Republicans running to take over the state of Illinois from attorney general, Supreme Court, and governor. No difference, really. The people who run the state of Ohio think it's sound health policy to make a 10-year-old girl carry, what, a pregnancy to full to birth, give birth, no abortions, no exceptions. So she goes to Indiana, gets the abortion, and what, what's the response of MAGA? This is the part I, I, I just can't get over, ladies and gentlemen. They spent about 12 days walloping the abortion provider, the reporters in Indiana who reported the story, Joe, Joe Biden, who it took him a while, but he finally stood up uh, for abortion rights a little bit. And then they act like nothing happened. Like maybe the whole thing was made up. They, they try to write it off as a one source story, which is hilarious. I hope my guest is listening to this because think about this. It is hilarious. Suddenly MAGA is concerned about sourcing a story. MAGA is suddenly obsessed with the truth. This is a movement dedicated to a lie that Donald Trump somehow or other was victorious in 2020. This is a movement that has taken that lie as what? Motivation to storm the Capitol, to have an insurgency, to lead a coup, to threaten Mike Pence with death if he didn't sign over the presidency to Donald Trump. This is a movement that is proposing laws. We haven't really talked about this show from one state to the next that would make it legal to say anything you want on social media that would make it illegal for like Twitter or Facebook to ban you for lying. Now suddenly, out of nowhere, they're obsessed with, it's only a one source story. You know who it's really embarrassing? I got it to say it. I don't want to throw a fellow journalist under the bus, but Glenn Kessler from the Washington Post, the fact checker, he was like, well, this is a very difficult story to, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to correct, to check. Why? Because the only source of the abortion was the doctor who said she performed it. She used her name in the story. There was not one person on the other side who used their name to say it was false. Not one. So what's so hard to check about it? He was calling all these social agencies in the state of Ohio to see if there was any reports. Not one person used their name to say, no, we saw no report of a rape. I find this really hard to believe. That rape police knew about throughout the month of June. That rape police knew about throughout the early two weeks of July. And yet not one of them would confirm it. I think they were playing games. I think they were playing MAGA games. I think they were trying to undercut the credibility of the story by just pretending as though the rape hadn't occurred. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they march a defendant for a judge for arraignment. But by then, in MAGA's mind, it's like the whole thing was made up. Weird games that MAGA is playing. 
And the whole point of it, the whole point of it was to distract us from the fact that the leaders of the state of Ohio have a law that is so barbaric and cruel that it won't let a 10-year-old who's been raped get an abortion. And that was the whole purpose of the little games they played. I hope that Glenn Kessler, the fact checker for the Washington Post who wrote, it's a very difficult story to uh, check, writes a follow-up where he asks all the police officials in the state of Ohio, did you know about this alleged rape before the Columbus police marched the defendant before the judge for arraignment? And if you did know, why did you speak up? Why did you allow MAGA to pound the doctor and the reporters for reporting the truth? I would love to, I'd love to see that follow-up. <laughs> I think Kessler's so embarrassed by his original stories. Hiding. Listen, Kessler, let me give you some advice. You're a younger guy than me. I've made mistakes in my life as a journalist. Good God, you got to own up to them, man. You got to face the lions. You got to face the cannons. Yeah, I screwed up. Please forgive me. Well, we'll see. All right. Had to get that off my chest without further ado. I want to bring on my distinguished guest who looks like he's sitting in a car somewhere. Uh, and uh, That's right. In the parking lot. <laughs> Anthony, I want you to pronounce your last name so I don't butcher it. Uh, so say last it. name is uh, Quesada. Quesada. That's what I thought. Um, anyway, uh, I'm writing it down so I never screw it up. Anthony Joel Quesada uh, is the uh, victor. Uh, in last month's uh, primary. And, and, and folks, I, I, I made a pledge on primary night, uh, Anthony, and you were part of the pledge. There were, I think I'm counting, one, two, three. And you guys aren't all ideologically the same, but three very young Democrats who were victorious in your primaries, uh, either up against incumbents or people with four. I'm going to put Deli on that list. Uh, Deli Ramirez, who was in the Democratic primary for... Um, uh, Congress. She was up against a sitting incumbent alderman who probably was better known than she was at the time when the race started. Anyway, they were victorious. Uh, Anthony uh, was one of them. Uh, Kevin Olicki from uh, Skokie was another one. He defeated an incumbent, Denise Wang. Um, what's her last name? Stonebecker. And um, Han Nguyen was victorious uh, in the uptown area for state rep to fill uh uh, Greg Harris's seat, uh, stepping down. He defeated uh, Governor Pritzker's candidate in that race. So I, I found it fascinating. The notion of beating an incumbent, the notion of beating somebody with uh, powerful backers whose name has been out there for a while. Anthony, that used to seem impossible in the city of Chicago or in Cook County even, uh, particularly in the Democratic side. Uh, Keenan right. Collins was an un, uh, defeat Danny Davis in the 7th Congressional. That's an example. You had a young, vigorous candidate to the left, can't beat the entrenched incumbent. The notion is that Chicago voters just recognize the name, Anthony, and they can't help themselves. It's like they just vote for that name. You guys kind of upset the apple cart there. And again, all different sort of ideologies, worldviews from these different. I know you guys are not all the same person, ideologically speaking. Uh, but why don't you uh, let's start by talking about your particular race. Uh, and uh, how are you able to win it? And also, like, what does this mean sort of in the, in the larger sense uh, for Chicago politics if uh, young first-time 
our challengers and do so well. So take it away. Tell folks about your race. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ben. And thank you uh, for having me on the show. I also want to mention and uplift uh, my good colleague and comrade Lillian Jimenez, who ran for state representative in the fourth district uh, to replace Delia Ramirez. Um, she is just a phenomenal uh, person and leader. And I really look forward to her serving in the state legislature. Um, oh, and I have to add a name I, and then you go on. I forgot. I had it here. Abdel Nasser, she defeated There's so many women. I know Zalewski down on the Southwest side. It's the, to beat a Zalewski is pretty phenomenal, but anyway, go ahead, Anthony, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, not a problem. So, you know, I want to preface that by saying, you know, our accomplishments on June 28th was the result of a coalition, right? We worked in coalition between all of these candidates from Delia to Senator Christina Pasione Zayas, to Omar Aquino, to Will Gazzardi, to Lillian Jimenez, and to myself, we ran as a progressive coalition on the Northwest side that really has its origins all the way back to Will Gazzardi winning uh, back in 2014. And ever since then, you know, slowly picking up more races and more offices like Alderman Rosa in 2015, uh, Omar Aquino, uh, Delia Ramirez, Rosana Rodriguez, Daniel Espada, uh, now myself and Delia again and Lillian, uh, that has been the result of years and years of base building, of community organizing, going door to door, talking to people about a larger political vision, right? And and saying that the current status quo is not delivering that for poor and working class people in our communities and saying we can we can fight for that alternative. But what it, what it requires is real dedication, real organizing, real uh, relationship building in our communities. And uh, that's, that's what we accomplished. Um, and so what I think what it means for my race, right, uh, going up against an eight-year incumbent, uh, the son of a political family dynasty, you know, the Arroyos and Arroyo Sr., is, look, people people knew who Arroyo was, and they, they knew that he was disconnected from our communities. Um, people right now, they want progressive, ethical, and effective leadership, especially in this time of growing wealth and income inequality, of, you know, the threat of climate change, of so many things going wrong. People are looking to their elected officials, and they're saying, what are you doing right now to stand up and fight for me? And when I've been talking to people over the past five and a half, almost six months now on the doors, uh, people would either say, one, I don't know who my county commissioner is or what is a county commissioner or two, I know who Luis Arroyo Jr. is and I want him out of office. Um, And I think that really showed on election night. We won in a five-way race with 35% of the vote total, vote chair, and Arroyo came in with 19%. Uh, and everyone else, you know, is trailing him. But I mean, our, our communities were united in, in, you know, in their in their vision for, uh, you know, that kind of new leadership in the eighth district. Uh, and man, did we did we deliver it? And I, I'm so excited. I'm really eager to start working. All right. Uh, let's uh, break things down a little bit. First, talk about the eighth district. So f- folks know where it is. Cook County Board of Commissioners, there's districts. Uh, the president runs us uh, countywide, but each uh, commissioner runs uh, in a district. So where is the eighth uh, district? Yes. The the eighth district is on the northwest side of Chicago. Its boundaries, I'll give the street boundaries. Eastern boundary is western. Southern boundary is grand. Western boundary is Harlem and the Northern boundary is Montrose. And then it goes down to Addison at one point. Um, so it covers Logan square, Avondale, Humble park, Irving park, Portage park, uh, Belmont, Cragen, uh, all the way out to Dunning. Um, and so it covers a wide range of working class neighborhoods, predominantly immigrant communities, uh, Polish communities. Uh, it's, it's such a beautiful community, a uh, beautiful district. It's the district that I was born and raised in. Uh, I was uh, raised in Logan Square. So it's a real honor to be able to now step into the board of commissioners and 
and, uh, you know, represent my community and fight for them. All right. Uh, before we get into uh, the changing demographics and the political changing uh, political ideologies of that district, uh, just in, take opportunity to introduce yourself to listeners. You're a lifelong Chicagoan and proud graduate of Lane Tech. Uh, but, uh, you know, just who are you? Yeah. So uh, my name is Anthony Joel Quesada. I'm the son of proud son of immigrant parents. My uh, my mom's from Costa Rica. My dad's from Mexico. Uh, I'm the the youngest of four. Um, And yeah, I mean, grew up in in Logan Square. I've stayed here my entire life. Um, Still live here today. And uh, man, I mean, growing up in Logan Square back then was was a dream. Um, You know, I think my community was extremely diverse. We had folks from Mexico, Guatemala, Puerto Rico, uh, Nicaragua. um, And I think that diversity, um, both in my community and my schools, I think really kind of um, inspired me to see that there is strength in diversity, um, but there is also so much struggle in, uh, you know, these working class and immigrant communities that really informed my worldview growing up. Uh, My parents worked multiple uh, jobs in the restaurant industry. My father was a chef. My mother was a waitress. And even despite how much they worked, you know, um, it was still hard to get by. You know, we were still struggling to pay our utility bills. Uh, we were still struggling to keep up with rent. Um, at one point, a good section of my mom's life, you know, she struggled with, with depression and, and was unemployed. And you know, we relied on, on food stamps um, and, you know, uh, utility bill assistance, like through the Light Heat program. And all of that really informed um, not just my sort, but seeing that also exist with my neighbors, right. With other members of our family, just seeing that people worked so hard yet they barely got by or they didn't get by at all. I mean, there were days Ben, when we used to hide from our landlord cause we didn't have enough money to pay the rent. Um, and so, um, I know that that's the same experience that people in my community are experiencing right now that they're still living through. And, um, this is what has inspired me, you know, to, um, get involved in community organizing. I've been involved in organizing now for the past six and a half years, primarily with our ward, uh, uh, IPO, uh, United Neighbors of the 35th Ward. And IPO, for those who are listening but may not know that term, is an independent political organization. Uh, And so United Neighbors of the 35th Ward started uh, after Carlos won his victory in 2015, and we've been organizing since then. Uh, And that's where I, I, you know, started learning the ropes of, of community organizing, of base building, of building power to fight for the resources and services that we need. Um, but I've also had the great honor of working in, in public service. So I've worked as the neighborhood services director for Alderman Rosa of the 35th Ward, uh, you know, in the ward office, helping people get their garbage cans, get their lights fixed, uh, make sure that there's rodent abatement. Um, but in those past six years, uh, six and a half years, you know, I've also heard of the, the, the tragic stories of people who have lost their jobs, uh, people who are working multiple jobs and, uh, you know, can't, can't get by, people who've lost their loved ones under COVID or or their parents, um, constituents that I will never see again that used to walk in through the door. And I, I haven't heard from them in, in years now, ever since before COVID. So I can only imagine the worst. Um, and so all of those things have really informed me in my, in my, in my path and my trajectory of building real power for people who need it, for the oppressed, uh, for the poor, uh, and to make sure that we are transforming our, our society, our government, and our economy to fight for justice. You know, we're not, you're talking about all the, the MAGA crazies earlier attacking people. 
man, all we're trying to do up here is just like make sure people have housing, a good job, you know, a good school to go to, uh, and a clean environment. It's, it's so simple. Um, and, and that, that's what I'm committed to, Ben. That's what I want to do. So let's, uh, let me ask you the question. I pretty much ask every, uh, uh, a young lefty that comes on my show. Uh, and, uh, I've, <laughs> I just, I just all, but as soon as I said that, Anthony, a whole parade of faces passed through my mind of all these young lefties getting this question. But so when you were a young man, and you're still mm-hmm. a young man, but when you were a kid, you know, you could, you had on one hand, you could follow the example of, uh, Alderman, uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, uh, 35th war, uh, and become a democratic socialist, or you could look, let's just say, uh, Kenny G, uh, Ken Griffin, a person we talk about mm. in the show all the time, <laughs> the richest man in the state of Illinois who funds MAGA funds Republican candidates. And you could have said to yourself, Anthony, you know what? I- I'm sorry. I, in life, you're in it for yourself. This democratic socialist stuff, that's for losers and chumps. I want to be like Kenny G. I want to be rich. I want to have like multiple homes throughout the country and multiple planes. And, and you know what? Sorry, guys, you're on your own. And you're a smart guy, Anthony. You could have gone to the finest college. You could have been, they'd have loved you in the Republican party. It would have been a huge victory, moral victory. If a guy like you just said, you know what? It'd be like Stephen Miller did for Trump. You know, I'm, I, yeah, I come from a lefty background, but I'm through with that. I want to make money. Uh, and have individual power and the, the hell with everybody else. You didn't go in that direction. No. When you're a, you're a democratic socialist. Explain. Were you ever tempted? Were you ever tempted by like the voices no. of the Kenny G's of the world? No, actually, you know, uh, in 2016, I was arrested for a nonviolent civil disobedience, actually for shutting down the Citadel, uh, Ken Griffin's uh, hedge fund. So I did that with uh, People's Action and People's Lobby, uh, demanding that uh, Ken Griffin pay his fair share of taxes. So I was, we call ourselves the, the lockbox five because we, we, put a, we put our arms inside um, PVC pipe with uh, chicken wire, steel chicken wire and duct tape wrapped in uh, birthday gift like wrapping. Uh, and we shut down the front entrance and the, the inside of the Citadel. Uh, and we chanted, you know, saying that, you know, he needs to pay his fair share of taxes uh, because while he's funding, you know, billionaire uh, candidates like Bruce Rauner and this other bozo who just lost to Bailey, you know, like our people are suffering. Our communities are disintegrating. Our public institutions are falling apart. Um, people like my family are, are not are not ha- happy and healthy. So, you know, going to, back to your question, like why why didn't I make that decision is because I know the pain and the misery and the hopelessness that people who are oppressed experience. Like I remember my mom looking at our bills and crying and, and, and feeling lesser than. And so I believe in transforming society, you know, to have a, a socially owned economy in which there is workplace in, or democracy in the workplace, as well as the ballot box and as well as the schools. Because if we take collective action, then that's when we can make collective change. And so I don't care about me individually having that power. I want us to collectively have that power so that people can, can experience prosperity for generations, not just for a single lifetime, not just like Ken Griffin or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. I want everyone to feel that kind of uh, you know, economic security from birth to death. Um, and I think that can't happen under capitalism. I think that can only happen through, you know, socialism. Uh, and that's why I'm a democratic socialist. 
Wow. That was great riff. Uh, and uh, I didn't realize you had a personal, I just, I could have plucked any billionaire. Uh, yeah, I could have used Elon Musk. There's a lot of people from your generation who love this guy. And frankly, I'm not quite sure I understand the love they have for Elon Musk, uh, but whatever, you know, whatever. Floats. I think it's because they, they love space, um, but we live in, in a neoliberal like nightmare. And so they see that the only advancements or, you know, credible ones, not credible ones, but they see that a lot of advancements in space exploration are happening through Elon Musk when they should be happening through NASA, right? So we see the James Webb Space Telescope and that's publicly funded, but then they see, you know, Elon Musk and his fancy rockets, but those fancy rockets can be made through NASA. NASA just needs the funding. Um, and I can say a lot about space because I'm a space enthusiast. Uh, so <laughs> that, was a, that was a great answer. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Uh, I would have said it was because they saw him smoke a joint on the Joe Rogan show and that was all it took. Oh my God. God, he's so cool. He's I'm rich sure there and he smokes reefer. I'm sure there are some people. There's a spectrum. There's a spectrum. Yeah. Okay. You have a greater estimation of what governs them uh, than I do, obviously. Um, all right. Uh, Democratic Socialist. And uh, so why don't you explain uh, from your perspective what exactly that means uh, when you say you're a democratic socialist? Well, you know, it's a, it's a philosophy, right? It's a, it's a philosophy that I have. It's a way of, that I understand the world. Uh, and I think, you know, um, I think what I want to see is seeing real political democracy, right, where people are empowered to make decisions in their community. And right now, you know, we see low vo voter turnout because you talk to people and they say, well, I vote and nothing changes. Well, yeah, especially no nothing really changes when everything is controlled by the ultra rich or like a political elite. And so if we told people, hey, you know, things can change and your voice does matter and, you know, you will actually see the results of that if you're voting and, uh, you know, in the economy actually like reflected each other. If like what you voted for in your values was actually reflected in political leadership, but also in the structure of our economy, which means people not having to work two to three jobs to barely get by. You should have one job and you should not live in poverty and no one should live in poverty, whether or not you're working. Um, but definitely if you want to have more things in life, you know, you can work and you can earn some more extra cash. Um, but you know, um, ultimately, as I was saying, you know, it means expanding what we understand as political democracy. But I think it also means moving toward a socially owned economy where we're not seeing corporate boards and, you know, individual billionaires dictating um, our entire economy or Wall Street being able to destabilize entire communities because of how they gamble people's money. Um, I think people, I think we need to em em empower people for, uh, for self-management and for, uh, uh, you know, workplace democracy as well as, you know, political democracy. Uh, and so I think what it means ultimately to boil it all down is moving power. Who has the power? Is it going to be the ultra rich and what, the 1% or is it going to be the masses of people in our community who are making decisions for their community, but also for our economy? Because I think if we gave the actual power to people and we said, what would you like to see? They would say, we would like to see the end of homelessness. Right. We would like to see people have good jobs. We'd like to see people have universal health care. We'd like to see senior citizens have what they need to to, to, to thrive. Right. Um, so many stories I've had. I had toward the tail end of this campaign where I spoke with dozens of senior citizens who said that they don't know what they're going to do, you know, at this like, you know, last chapter of their life that some people don't, you know, are still working in their early seventies, mid seventies because they have no other option or that they're going to have to move out of their apartment because their rent is rising. And now they're going to have to find a roommate at their age. And it's just like a nightmare. These are the people who created the world around us. These are the people who birthed us. These are the people who gave us 
you know, everything before us. And, and, and now they're, they're, they're left with a, an uncertainty. Like, I think that's a complete nightmare. That's not what the American dream is about. Uh, and actually I would argue, I would possibly, I would, I would totally argue that democratic socialism is more about the American dream than capitalism is. Um, and I think it's about providing, you know, stability and security for people in all avenues of their life to make sure that they can uh, be the fullest humans that we know that they can be. Wow. Well, that's an interesting uh, dichotomy you just set up. And before I go into uh, the practicality of running on it, let's just break it down a little bit. Uh, for many, many people, the American dream uh, is to be as wealthy as you can be, to be Jay-Z, Jay-Z rich. You know how many people told me, Anthony, they want to be Jay-Z rich or just even a half of Jay-Z rich and, uh, or Kenny G rich or, you know, a Warren Buffett rich, you know, just across the board, just have that money no matter where you are. LeBron James rich. That's what people shoot for. That would be the conventional interpretation of the American dream. But when you say the American dream, you talk about something else. Go ahead. Talk about that. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That that is not happening right now. That is not happening when the two richest billionaires in the United States own more wealth than, you know, 180 million Americans or whatever the, the current statistic is. But like, that's not that that's not liberty. That's not the pursuit of happiness. People living out in the streets experiencing homelessness for, you know, a decade. That's not that's not life. Um I think if we want to have uh, the American dream, which I believe is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Let's give life to people. Let's make sure that they have what they need. Let's make sure they have good food, good housing, good health care, right? Let's make sure they have liberty. Let's make sure that the Supreme Court, who is, you know, now like an extreme right-wing institution, is stripping away people's rights, right? That's not liberty. It's not liberty when, uh, you know, uh, state legislatures, Republican-controlled state legislatures, are making it harder to vote. That's not liberty. And in the pursuit of happiness, how can how can we be in the pursuit of happiness if you are you set up for failure when you're born? Right. When you are born in an extremely segregated city, when, you know, you are thrusted into, you know, the school to prison pipeline. That's not the pursuit of happiness. And so I think um, I think our country has been stolen from us, Ben. I think our country has been stolen by us, by by, you know, multinational corporations by greedy banks and by greedy people. And I think this country belongs to the people. It belongs to poor and working class people. It belongs to the masses of people who actually want to live a good life and want others to live a good life. And I think the people who are individualistic, the people who are greedy, the people who want to exploit others are in the minority and have always been in the minority. And I think we need to empower people in our community to understand that truth and to organize around it. Uh, yeah. I, ho- I certainly hope you're right about the, uh, the greedy people being in minority. Uh, Magus got me very uh, uh, frightened about the future, uh, but I'll hold back on a national MAGA discussion. All right, let's break it down uh, sure. to the sort of the goals you could achieve. Uh, you, you just uh, laid out sort of the uh, the ideals that propel you. Uh, now let's talk about the goals you can achieve as a Cook County Board Commissioner. Yeah, and, and go uh, ahead. thank you. Um, yeah, and I, I think I also want to preface that because some people, you know, they, they sometimes hear, "Oh, you're a socialist," which means you're, you're going to be crazy. You're not going to do anything. And it's like, no, that's that's actually like a compass. It uh, it allows us to know. It gives us an analysis of who's actually in control. And for me, it gives me a North star of how I want to lead or how I want to operate in life and how I want to relate to others. Uh, and it's rooted in those values. So now as you know, the incoming commissioner of the eighth district, 
I want to, you know, fight for housing as a human right, which means making sure we're building more affordable housing across Cook County and and in the 8th District. So I want to see the county playing a larger role in building affordable housing and working with the city of Chicago and working with the suburban municipalities or, uh, you know, with the Housing Authority, CHA, and finding ways in which we can fund more affordable housing. And then I also want to make sure we are addressing the homelessness crisis. So making sure that we're increasing funding for homeless services, coordinating with other state departments, city departments, county departments, uh, to figure out how we are getting people off the streets and into homes as soon as possible, because that's the solution to homelessness, it's housing. Then also making sure that they have the uh, physical uh, infrastructure of healthcare that people need, right? To make sure that they have... um, social care, that they have mental health care, um, that they, they have health care in general. <laughs> um, and I think that means leaning into the Cook County hospital and clinic system and building that infrastructure, like building more neighborhood-based clinics, uh, mental health clinics, uh, uh, just, you know, um, general clinics. If we need a more hospital uh, or another hospital, I think we need to do, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't know everything that's going on right now, but once I get in, I want to do a needs assessment and figure out you know, what the 8th District needs, and I think it's another mental health clinic for sure, but I want to go out to the far western portions of, of my district and figure out what's lacking over there, you know, uh, and we're going to be doing a series of uh, listening tours throughout uh, the next uh, month uh, to those east uh, western parts of the district that I have less relationships with and less familiarity with and to hear from them and for them to hear from me and to develop that, you know, dialogical relationship where we're going to identify the problems in our community and we're going to work toward that. Um, and then I also, lastly, um, a, a, a third pillar that I talked about a lot is making sure that the county is doing everything that it can to play a leading role in combating climate change. And that means moving towards, you know, more public uh, transportation, that we're protecting our forest reserves, that we're creating green jobs uh, and that we're moving away from fossil fuels. Um, so I think it's housing. I think it's healthcare. Um, I think it's, you know, the environment, uh, and it's other things, right? It's tax reform, property tax reform. There's a lot of things that, you know, we're going to get in, in, into this position and we're going to learn about. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, I preface with, right, those values are going to guide me towards, uh, what solutions we're going to develop. Wow. It's, uh, that just naming, uh, mentioning climate change just kind of hit me with a jolt. I began with abortion. Uh, but I could do a whole riff, and I'll uh, spare you for the moment, Anthony, on climate change, the side of uh, uh, President Biden going to Saudi Arabia, beg for more oil, uh, because he couldn't get uh, his uh, climate change pol- uh, legislation through the Senate, because Joe Manchin, uh, who is a lot of oil manufacturers, yeah, it was to block the vote. You can't get uh, more of a subsidies for electric cars, so they can make them more affordable, which, by the way, would just fund... Elon Musk, <laughs> so twisted. MAGA loves Elon Musk. When you're, you're taking money. I mean, if you if you if you pick it apart, Anthony, you lose your your mind. Uh, and then every day the clock ticks down toward doomsday. Mm-hmm. So, and what it's 103 in England right now. And there's oh, there's, there's uh, wildfires that are uh, tearing through the greater greater London area right now. I was just looking on on Twitter before I hopped on the call. Um, it's happening everywhere. Yeah. So, all right, I'm going to just spare us all, but <laughs> total depression uh, on that front. Uh, I really hope you can do it. Whatever helps. Uh, I, that's what I, I truly uh, uh, believe that. All right. So we uh, mentioned, uh, you, you just mentioned that you're going to introduce yourself sort of in many ways to uh, constituents on the Western edge of your district. I presume have not looked at the precinct by precinct vote totals that that's where uh, <laughs> I have. 
Oh, you have. I know you have. Yeah. I have. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I know you looked at him. <laughs> I, sorry. I thought you said I know. I, I thought you said I didn't, and I was like, No, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I know you learned from Carlos Ramirez Rosa. That guy knows how to count a vote. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I have not looked, but I presume when you said the Western District, that the Western portions of your district, that you meant that's the areas where you did not do as well, uh, and uh, so. I presume it's a little more conservative uh, ideologically. All right, let's talk about introducing yourself, a quote-unquote democratic socialist, to conservative or more conservative democratic voters. Uh, Are you just not going to raise the topic that you're a democratic socialist, or are you going to meet it head-on? Go ahead. Look, I think people have asked me. Um, they ask me on the trail, uh, and I answer, and I say, yeah, that I'm a democratic socialist. But that's not what I lead with. You know, I don't knock on people's door and say, hi, my name is Anthony. I'm a democratic socialist. <laughs> I say, hi, my name is Anthony. I'm running for Cook County Commissioner because I want to help you and your family and, like, many of, of our families who are, you know, are struggling right now. And this is how I want to help. And what do you need help with, right? So I think it's about listening to people. Uh, It's about listening to people and I can tell people about my experience, right, as a public servant, as a community organizer, what my priorities have been uh, about my my life experience, about, you know, what what guides my worldview. Um, But then really taking the time to hear from people. And I think um, I've spoken to many conservative voters uh, throughout this campaign who know that I'm a democratic socialist, but said that they were going to vote for me because they know that what I care about and what I want to do is to their benefit. And it is to the collective benefit of our community. Right. Um, if I mean, and also with, with these Western parts of the district um, you know, these were areas where Luis Arroyo senior was a state representative and a committee man and has had a lot of experience there and Arroyo. I mean, that, that, that's their base. That's their community. That's where they've been organizing it. And if you look at, you know, the precinct uh, breakdown, if you look at uh, like a visual map, a heat map of how the votes are broken down, we got a, a, a we held down the 35th ward, 32nd ward, the first ward, the 26th ward, even the 30th ward um, and the 32nd, um, because that's where we've been organizing it. And so I think we need to go out to the western district, western part of the district, and organize over there, and and talk to people and hear from people. And I, again, I think it's a it's a dialogical methodology, right? It's about listening to people and talking to them and going back and forth uh, as we try to figure out the problems. Because these western parts are also areas that are. Uh, heavily immigrant and they're um, lower income. And so, you know, they actually need a, a county commissioner that's going to fight for them and being the ring. Uh, and so, you know, I, they're not my enemies because they voted for Luis Arroyo. They're, they're, they're my future constituents and they're people that I want to build long lasting relationships with so that when uh, I'm on the board, they know that I'm fighting for them. All right, uh, man, so much to uh, follow up on. Uh, just I got to take a brief moment. To, to, when you rattle off those wards, uh, what flashed through my mind uh, was not the images of young uh, lefties coming on my show, but images of the aldermen and committeemen who represented those wards back in 1981 when I first moved to Chicago, long wow. before you were born. And they were just like stalwarts of Mayor Daly's machine. And it was like <laughs> Rustinkowski and Gablinski. <laughs> And I just like, remember those guys, they hated me because I was just, a, I don't know, they thought I was weird. Uh, I mean, I remember Luis Gutierrez coming in uh, and uh, losing and then winning. And, uh, and now Louis like, uh, losing again. Yeah, Louis, come on, Louis, with this defund the police thing, you lost your mind. Anyway, um, so uh, I'm going to then uh, ask you this, sure. broaden it. 
brought it beyond the eighth uh, district and the Western because it's a parable, if you will. Um, so I'm very concerned okay. about Democrats holding on to the House and the Senate. I take very seriously what I consider the fascistic threat of MAGA. I take it very seriously. I'm not Same. one of, like, okay, I know. It was like a lot of lefties comes in to show up and, you know, the Democrats suck too. And I'm like, yeah, well, okay. At least they're not calling for any end of democracy as we know it. Um, so I take seri- very serious that threat. So when you look at the map as a whole, you know, when you look at congressional districts in like Texas or Wisconsin or Pennsylvania, when you look at Senate seats in all these states, gubernatorial seats in all the uh, gubernatorial uh, races in all these states, what message do you think the Dems should be promoting in order to hold on to the House, hold on to the Senate? and pick up some more governor races. What do you, what's the message they should be promoting? Well, I think the message is the one that actually has the most momentum and the thing that's actually organizing people. Again, it's an, it's an organizing project. And so people are mobilized right now behind progressive ideas around progressive values. Um, and not, not just like, you know, the, the blanket term progressive, no, like the bread and butter issues. People want healthcare, people want housing, people want a serious approach to the problems of today and they want people who are going to go in there and govern and not be spineless and not be afraid but to actually go in there and to challenge the status quo and to the people who are making decisions behind the screen and i think we're you know um uh i think i mean we see we've seen that behind bernie i mean the, the, the democratic party also needs to stop shooting down and mobilizing millions of dollars tens of millions of dollars of corporate money towards shooting down progressive challengers you know, like I think about Jessica Cisneros, who ran against Henry Quellar in, in Texas, the uh, anti-abortion Democrat. And so Democrats are here saying, oh, my God, we can't <laughs> believe the Republicans are taking away people's right to abortion. But then they look within their own party and they go, you know, we're going to do everything we can to protect this person and to maintain our status quo. So the Democratic establishment has gotten too greedy uh, and they're trying to hold on to their power. And as long as they keep doing that, they're going to plant the seeds of fascism. Uh, it's 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 not just one or the other. It's both. It's a it's a we know that it's a it's a multifaceted thing. And so we can't control MAGA. Right. But we can control Democrats or maybe we can't even control them. But at least that's where our kind of like camp is in. Right. And so we need to push that camp to say, stop a lot, like stop creating the conditions in which the extreme right are going to keep running and they're going to keep winning. Um, let's actually tap into the energy in which people are organizing. And the problem is that Democrats right now are too busy sitting down with corporate representatives rather than actually sitting down with poor and working class people and immigrants in their districts and saying, how are we going to organize for the things that our communities need? So we don't have fighters in, you know, in the House or in the Senate, in, in those leadership bodies um, that are actually organizing. And the only people who are organizing right now are Bernie Sanders, right, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, uh, you know, the whole, uh, whole um, team of people. Um, that, those are the people who are actually tapping into that energy. And I think um, beyond Democrats wanting to hold on to power, if people want to prevent fascism, we have to organize. That's the only way. Because if we, if we fail in being able to organize the political representation that we need to have governing power, then it's going to 
then that that then that fight is going to get out into the streets <laughs> and people are going to need to organize a, a movement uh we need to organize that movement regardless uh to be able to protect ourselves and our bodies um from you know authoritarian uh figures and institutions all right uh and you've mentioned a couple things uh, that have, uh, as millennials say, triggered some thoughts in my mind that I want to share with you. Uh, and uh, so you, you've mentioned Texas, uh, Cisneros race, uh, she yeah. was defeated by Cuero, a very close race. We've talked about that in the show a lot. Uh, Texas is on my mind. Uh, you mentioned that uh, your parents are immigrants. I believe one from Guatemala, one from Mexico. Uh, Costa Rica. Costa, my bad. Uh, and so... Um, I get all the time. I don't know why, Anthony, but for some reason I do. Uh, I get emails from MAGA. <laughs> I, they love you, Ben. <laughs> they love me. I swear, I, on a stack of Bibles, I've never given a nickel to MAGA, but I still get these solicitations. And I've been getting a ton from a congressional candidate named Myra Flores. And I don't know if you know her, but she's running as a Republican. I've heard her, yes. Okay. Uh, so she's really mad uh, about the taco line that Joe Biden gave. And by the way, I give you a lot of credit. You are taking one for the team. This guy is sweating like a horse. It's so hot out there. God bless you, Anthony. Uh, and uh, I really appreciate it, man, uh, that you're doing this for the show. Um, so she sends me these. Well, she doesn't just send them to me. She's, it's a fundraising solicitations, and they're all about how – uh, Hispanics in America are moving right, that Democrats don't represent Hispanics anymore, that the future uh, lies with the Republicans. And, and I'm not making this up, Anthony. Donald Trump. This is the man who called Mexicans rapists, but somehow or other. <laughs> I said, you got to laugh. It's so perverse. Somehow or other, he represents the future uh, for Mexican-Americans in this country. And she sends me these emails uh, being the first, I'm reading the first Mexican-born American elected to Congress and only the second Republican to represent the Rio Grande Valley area in over 100 years is such an honor. And she wants me to give her money. Uh, and please fight to join and restore a Republican majority and save America. Democrats oh, are destroying the American dream. I'm just reading what she said. Yeah. Uh, they deliver dependence on the government, inflation, high gas prices, a border crisis, a border crisis. A border crisis and an American last <laughs> agenda. <laughs> All right. I, I have plenty of responses that I would give, but I would love to get your thoughts, Anthony. Uh, do you believe the Myra Floreses of the world uh, represent the future of Hispanic politics in this country? Go ahead. No, of course not. Of course not. Uh, I, I think absolutely not. But, um, you know, if they're and I, I, ha I haven't seen the numbers and I don't think that's the case. Uh, but, you know, if in some communities people are turning uh, rightward, uh, and I think it might be because they are desperate because they just see the failures of, you know, um, our current government. You know, I think uh, there's a really famous quote, you know, like um, fascism is capitalism and decay, right? Like the failure of capitalism, the failure of being able to give people what they need uh, is the, it breeds, you know, reaction. And so uh, I think she's overstepping uh, her limits by saying that she spe she's speaking for the entire Latino or Hispanic community by saying that the Republicans are the, the future. Um, there's also a really good saying that my good colleague, uh, Christina Pasión Isaias, likes to highlight that not all skin folk are kinfolk. Yeah. And so Myra Flores is not kinfolk, y'all. Uh, for those listening, she's not kinfolk. Um, and so I think she's just taking, she's being an opportunist. And, um, and I don't, I don't know much about her, but 
Um, she definitely does not speak for us. Um, and that's definitely not the future of our communities. All right, Anthony, uh, I knew through a, I threw a curve at you there, but when you started talking about Texas, that just clicked in my mind. Uh, Absolutely. My, my dad lives in Houston, so I'm, I, I got Texas on my mind all the time. Yeah, Texas. Is, I hope your dad is voting Democrat. <laughs> it's just me speaking, not Anthony. I'll be voting Democrat. My, my dad can't vote. He's undocumented. <laughs> oh, uh, so, all right. Um, let's close with some crime talk. And uh, I just noticed in the paper today uh, that uh, Danny Laspada, alderman of the first uh, ward, is a uh, Democratic Socialist being challenged by a young lawyer named Sam Royko, who is uh, running immediately talking about crime, crime, crime. Uh, and I guess, uh, you know, he thinks that's uh, well, is the most important issue that his district faces and is also the way to win. Um, your thoughts on just the politicization uh, of crime and what's the best strategy uh, to deal with crime. Go ahead. Well, I mean, June 28th was a great example of that. I mean, all these candidates that we were running against, uh, you know, tried labeling, uh, you know, Delia as this, you know, radical who didn't care about crime or all, oh, you know, that, that, that's been their attacks, but look, we all won. Uh, and it's because we actually broke it down for people. We said, look, if we, if we're really serious, if we're really serious about tack- tackling uh, public safety concerns, we need to invest in our communities. It's as simple as that. Uh, and, you know, I, I once spoke with somebody who said, well, you know, progressives say that all the time or that everyone knows that. And it's like, no, that people don't know that. The dominant narrative is that the only way to tackle public safety is police. And that's not true. Uh, and I think people have just people's political imagination has been so warped uh, that they're, they're kind of looking through tunnel vision and they think, well, if, if there's crime, then the only solution is police. But they don't think about the preventative things. They don't think about the holistic things. And I think we really need to inject that into the conversation and into the narrative. And so, you know, if this other challenger to Daniel Spada's, uh, you know, other, uh, if his, his only, you know, talking point is more police or just crime, then he is really ignoring a lot of the other issues uh, in our communities. And I think he's not really paying attention. He doesn't have his finger on the pulse of our community who are actually wanting, you know, housing and healthcare, education, um, good jobs. Uh, and he definitely didn't pay attention to the primary results where people who spoke that way lost and they lost hardcore. So, um, you know, I think, uh, again, it, it boils down to organizing and it boils down to getting out to people and talking about to them about the real uh, analysis around public safety or a broadened analysis around public safety um, that is more holistic. Uh, and that talks about actually investing resources into our communities and making sure that schools are not shutting down, uh, that people are not living out in the streets, but that they have homes. Um, so, yeah. All right. Very good. Anthony, I know you're going to be a regular guest in the show. You're really good on the mic. Uh, you're not afraid to speak your mind. So I always appreciate that with the guests. Uh, and you really folks, he was in a car doing this and it was so hot in that car. I felt for you, man. <laughs> Did you see me pulling out the napkins? I was like, oh my I goodness. <laughs> So I really appreciate you taking one for the team the way you did. Uh, so thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you, Ben. And I look forward to, um, to many more conversations over the next couple of years. Absolutely. Uh, you're going to be a regular for sure. All right. That's uh, uh, Anthony Joel Quesada. Uh, he uh, just won the Democratic primary, uh, which means he's virtually elected. I don't even know if you have an opponent. I do not. Okay, uh, but he's still going to keep campaigning anyway, because uh, they may put one on the ballot. You know that the the Republican Party has the, by law, has the ability to do that. So, 
and uh, by the way, I want to shout out to Danny Pogoshelsky, uh, who who's just a huge Pogo. fan of yours. Yeah. Uh, and he said, you got to have Anthony on your show. And I do whatever Danny P tells me. Uh, so he is uh, will probably come November or December, whenever he gets sworn in, uh, be a Cook County Board Commissioner. Uh, representing the eighth. So thank you very much, Anthony. Uh, I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of Joe Bolton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. Uh, and as Anthony and Danny P will tell you back home on Alton Lake, call him Dr. D and the D stands for the marvelous. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Take care.